Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. No matter where you're at, today can be day one of learning what God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Today is day one of 2023. Can I get a let's go? Let's go 2023. Somebody should put that on a t-shirt. You know, yeah, exactly. I think that should be like a, like a tagline or a motto or something. But here, here's the thing. I, what, what I'm most excited about for the new year, and, and you know, feel free to raise your hand if you're with me on this. I'm so excited for the new year because that means that my news feed is going to be full of gym membership ads, dieting tips, and home organization systems. Who's with me on that? Who's excited for being blasted with all sorts of resolutions of every, yeah, let's go, let's go resolutions. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm actually really partial to the home organization system, uh, and I will be needlessly sending that to my wife, uh, not to, for those of you who don't know me, I'm, it's, it's, I'm pretty much a, a, just a walking Excel spreadsheet. Uh, but what are your, I, I wanted this morning, um, what are your resolutions for this year? Have you thought about it at all? Um, have you decided to make any resolutions for yourself personally going into this year? You know, for some of you, this might be a wake-up call because you're getting up this morning, you're coming to church, you weren't expect to have to think about what you were thinking about doing over the course of the year. But so many people use the new year as a chance to make a change in their life, as a chance to do something and move the needle in an area that will actually matter. And somewhere between, you know, your new gym membership, your, uh, you know, your, your new exercise program, and your caveman diet, you realize maybe you haven't left a whole lot of room for God. And so you're sitting here this morning, either, oh, I'm not a resolution person, I don't need that, I don't need to set goals or whatever, or you're thinking, shoot, maybe I should do something this year that will actually move the needle in my life. Uh, but what is that thing? What is the one thing that you can do in 2023 that will actually make the biggest impact in your life and your faith? Well, unfortunately, I can't give you the answer. I, I, I can't tell you specifically for your life from this stage what that one thing is going to be. But I can tell you what the answer shouldn't be. I can tell you how to avoid falling into the same old pitfalls that we've had for years after years after years and falling into the same old habits and routines that we always have. Because without a proper understanding of the gospel of God's grace, without the proper understanding of, of how we actually move the needle in our life and in our faith, uh, the goals that you set for yourself are just going to wind up being empty or joyless. So as day one of 2023 is upon us, what can we do to plan to grow in our faith? And so our main point this morning is this. We need to be resolute about our resolutions. We need to be resolute about the goals, the things that we choose to move the needle in our life. So as you're thinking about it this morning, I'd love for you to, to throughout the course of this message, um, to, to really think about what's that one thing that if I could move the needle in my life, that would make the most difference for me. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a uh, very prominent Welsh uh, minister, and he, he was sick one time and he got interviewed. And uh, the interviewer asked him, you know, hey, I know you're on the shelf, you're not feeling all that great. Um, don't, you, don't you miss preaching? Like, don't you wish you could be out there doing ministry? You know, certainly anybody of, of any success or any caliber uh, misses, you know, kind of being in the spotlight, kind of serving people and making a difference in the world. And his response was amazing. He responded by quoting Luke 10 and said, 
Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And what he was doing was he was drawing the interviewer's attention to a uh, specific moment in Jesus' ministry. This was the first time where he had sent out 72 of his disciples, people who had watched him teach, who had watched him preach, and he sent them out to go and do the ministry. He had, and what they found was as they went, they actually had power. They had authority. They were healing the sick. They were casting out demons. They were doing amazing things. And if, if, you, you know, if you can kind of imagine this, this is kind of like the minor leaguer getting their first shot at the big leagues. And so they go out there and they actually, you know, they hit a home run. They, they, they score the game-winning kick or whatever. And, and they come back to Jesus. And you can imagine 72 people, like, super excited. Like, normal people like you and me coming up to them like, Jesus, this was amazing. I've had the best week of my life. I did this, that, the other thing. I, I can't believe what I did uh, in your name. And he responds to their enthusiasm with actually a rebuke. He responds and says, uh, Luke 10, 20, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus is, is acknowledging that, sure, you had a great week. It's amazing. You did amazing things, and that's good. But your joy should not be found in your successes. Why? Why would he respond like that? Because life is not a running list of our success stories. You're going to hit home runs. You're going to strike out. You're going to have mountaintop experiences. You're going to be in the valley, right? And so... Uh, Oftentimes, you could say the Christian life could feel bipolar. You're going to have your ups and downs, your ebbs and flows, your goods and your bads, right? And, and, and so Jesus is saying not to rejoice in your victories, but to rejoice that, that, that the proper place to find your joy should be found in God's grace and his grace alone. And so in order to do that, you have to actually understand what God's grace is. Right? As a matter of fact, you can find complete messages for this topic. You can just go to the Kenosha City Church uh, app or the webpage and type in grace, and we've got like five or six messages all on this topic. Uh, but to sum it up in a nutshell, to understand God's grace is to understand simply this. It's to realize that God's opinion of you is ultimately all that really matters. That, that when he sees you, he sees someone that's more valuable than any of the riches anywhere in the universe. And to understand the way that God looks at you, at us, as his creation, is so key and so important to understand where our joy should truly reside. But it doesn't stop there. Because finding your joy in God's grace is not only understanding his love for you, but it's also finding your pleasure in your life and your joy in him alone. And you want to learn to love God back with the same love that he has for you. Therefore, in order to completely understand God's grace in your life, you need to be able to admit how much sin is actually in your life. And, and if we're honest, this is, this is the part that's hard. This is, this is the part that we're going to be talking about, those patterns in our life that we actually want to move. Because if we're honest with ourselves, and if we're, you know, getting in front of the mirror in the morning and we look ourselves in the mirror, we're going to say, we know the patterns in our life that we should change. We know the patterns in our life that we should be resolute about making a difference in. But sometimes we're really good at lying to ourselves, aren't we? So in order to be resolute about our resolutions, we need to start with a goal, as Paul writes in 1 Timothy. He says, exercise is good, but godliness benefits us not only for this life, but in the life to come. 
So we should set goals that are going to carry with us throughout the entire, entirety of our existence, really. And spoiler alert, as I've already said, this is going to be extremely difficult. So if you're up for the challenge, if you're up for doing the hard work in your life, I think you're going to see the benefits uh, pay off this year. So in the book of Romans, we're going to start, this is all an intro into this, into this whole topic here, but we're going to start looking at a way uh, that, that people wrongly try to live out their faith. This is, this is a false approach to how people try to set goals in their life and, and try to achieve and try to, try to just, as they say, do better, right? Uh, the religious or moral person will oftentimes believe that if I live a good enough life, then God will bless me. You know, if I do enough good, then I'll receive enough good back from the Lord. And if that's your whole self-image, if that's the whole uh, way that your faith actually functions, then, then, then you're going to wind up in an in empty place. Because what's going to happen? If you're so considered with being called the good guy or being known as the good Christian person, then whenever data comes your way that tells you you're not that, all that great, you're not a good Christian person, how could you do this? You're gonna, what are you going to do? You're going to ignore it, you're going to deflect it, you're going to excuse it away, and you're going to hide from the data that's conflicting with the self-image that you're trying to portray. To people who are trying to earn their salvation through their merit, they won't be able to admit ultimately that they're really not as good as they portray to be. So if your image is, I'm a good Christian, and not... I'm a sinner saved by grace, then you're going to fall short. And so unless you really know who you are in Christ, you will not be able to ultimately admit how sinful you really are. So in order to understand the sin in your life, in order to understand those recurring habits that influence the thought patterns of our lives, you need to understand sin's ultimate effect on you. So we're going to go to the book of Genesis, chapter 4. We find a, a story of Cain and Abel, two brothers, Abel's got a great gift. God's rejoicing of it, over it. Cain finds himself jealous of his brother. Okay, His gift wasn't received with as much joy from the Lord. So God sees that something bad is about to happen, and he comes down and speaks directly to Cain. I, I, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I don't know what he'd say to me if he was speaking directly to me, um, but, but here's an instance in Scripture of where he does that. I think it's pretty cool. Um, but he comes to Cain with a warning. He says, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, and you must rule over it. The first part of God's warning here, it, he talks about sin crouching. When you, when you, think, about, when you think about that, what, what is this metaphor alluding to? God's comparing sin to that creepy stalker-type villain that's kind of waiting outside the door for, for the right moment to pounce and to, and to, and to jump on you and to... And to trap you and get you, or whatever the, the movie is, right? Um, it's a predator. Sin is lurking around the corner, waiting to, to have you. And, and so for people who end up taking sin, like, I don't know, you could say carelessly, um, you might have some thoughts like this. No, I'm not greedy. I'm just being frugal. Or, I'm not vain. I just value good personal hygiene, right? Or, or I'm not addicted to video games. I'm just stressed out and I need a break. So whatever, what you see here is we're often quick to minimize sin's effect in our life and excuse it away. But the other aspect of this metaphor that's so important, and we have to understand this, is sin's desire is for you, right? What he's saying here is whenever you choose to be, I don't know, selfish instead of selfless, uh, you know, telling a half-truth instead of, well, the whole truth, or, or uh, 
you know, worrying instead of trusting God, whatever it is, whenever you choose those things, sin's pattern has begun to grab a hold of your life. Sin, it doesn't just pass away, but it actually becomes a part of you. And it's a reality that will end up following you really wherever you go. And so that's why people who often are gossipers in the workplace are going to end up being gossiped about. People who are naturally negative or hateful people are eventually going to be hated. And liars are just going to find themselves in a, in a, in a constantly swirling pool of lies. Because the more that sin becomes normalized as a part of your life, the more that your thoughts and motives are eventually going to be blinded to its effects over you. And that is why repentance is so key. That is why it's so important that we, that we learn to move past our sin and repent of our sin as if our life depends on it. Because the fact is, it really does. It really does. And that's why Paul urges us in Romans to literally put our sin to death. Not to excuse it, not to hide it away, but to kill it. We have to deal with our sin realistically and drastically as it's a reality in each and every one of our lives. And so for those of you sitting here today, and I get it, 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 it it's getting hot in here, you know, you had the coffee, you might be sweating a little bit. I just want to remind you that if you're feeling uncomfortable, that, 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 that conviction might be from a flawed understanding of the gospel. And I want to encourage you today that you don't need... You don't need to feel bad about your sin. But what you need to do is you need to speak grace and speak truth to it. And this is, this is really difficult. This is a dichotomy that I'm trying to build up as we get into uh, how to be resolute with resolutions. And only through a correct understanding of the gospel of grace can you come to a place where you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, I'm really a lot worse off than I ever have been able to admit until right now. So I've used about a third of my time introing my talk today. Um, but I did all this to get to this point. Is if you want to make 2023 a year where, where, you, where you move milestones, where you make big leaps and bounds in your life and your faith, I don't want you to come to your sin and, and, and try and address it with pure grit and determination. Okay, we, We've built this whole case about what God's grace actually is and, and, the, and the proper place for it in our lives so that we can say this. Because what most people do is they will try to avoid uh, the consequences of their sin. They'll try to avoid, uh, you know, think of it as like picking off the, the head of the dandelion, right? Uh, I, I got caught in a lie, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover up for the lie, but I'm not really going to deal with the root of the sin itself, of, of, of my proneness to lying. I'm just going to deal with the effects of, of, of the way that my lies manifest itself in my life. You, you get the image. Um, and so when I think about people who, or someone who tries to avoid the consequences of their sin, uh, one of my favorite characters in all of the Marvel Universe is Tony Stark. So if you come with me on a little side to the Marvel Universe real quick, we're going to talk about Iron Man, okay? So track with me on this. Iron Man. If, we, if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we watched, we watched the movies. His number one sin, and I'm not trying to throw shade his way, but we can kind of get this. His number one character flaw, I'd say, is his pride, right? He was very, very self-absorbed, very uh, self-serving. And, and so we can see the way that Tony Stark attempts to deal with this issue in his life. In Iron Man 1, we find a rich and powerful playboy. He almost dies, and he invents a way to keep up his lifestyle by gaining superhero status, right? 
And, and ultimately, he's more or less motivated by his pride to try and save face and save the Stark name brand from the negative publicity that he got from all the people that were upset with his weapons hurting people, right? Iron Man 1. Uh, Iron Man 2, we find the same rich and powerful playboy now bragging to the world that he is, in fact, Iron Man. But what happens? Uh, he gets a health scare when the suit that he designed to save his life actually goes around and is killing him, right? So we've got a health scare. He's got this image to up, uproot. What happens at the end of the movie? He gets a slight wake-up call, but ends up saving himself and really not learning his lesson all that much, right? Then we go to the Avengers. Surely being a part of the team will be good for uh, young Tony Stark, right? Not really. We find in the first Avengers film, he's still not playing well with others. He's still not a good uh, team player. And his ego is ultimately leading to conflict between him and the other Avengers. It isn't until Iron Man 3. Mind you, this is the end of the movie. We're four movies into this character arc in the Marvel Universe. When we realize that all of the facades built around this ego of Tony Stark are all built to serve his ego. And he realizes this in Iron Man 3 uh, by having a, rev a revelation. And that revelation is he actually learns to live for someone other than himself. All of his suits and all of his modifications could not ultimately remove the fear, the selfishness, and the ambition that was a part of his core character, right? And he was essentially, he, he took three and a half movies to band-aid the symptoms of his sin and not deal with the consequences. And so what do we find at the end of Iron Man 3? We find at the end of the movie that Iron Man was motivated ultimately to uproot his ego and pride by pursuing his one true love, right? Pursuing his one true love. And likewise, us as believers, we should be motivated to uproot our sinful patterns of behavior by falling in love with our one true love, who should be the Lord himself. And that's found in God's unconditional love for us. So I'm going to ask you this morning, where is your one true love ultimately found? For some of you, you might try to answer the question, I love God because fill in the blank. And whatever you put in that blank is your reason for worship. That, that, that's ultimately what you, what you believe about God. So you could say, God, I love you because you've blessed me. You've provided for me. You've given me spiritual gifts. You, you, you healed me miraculously. You, you, you've been, uh, you know, you've, you've done this, that, and the other thing for me. But whatever you're putting in that blank, I want to make sure we're filling that in with the right responses. Because as we try to cultivate a heart of worship for who God is, we need to learn to mirror his unconditional love back to him. That's the way that we completely understand God's grace, right? And so if you're putting something in that line that isn't, God, I love you because you're beautiful, or God, I love you because you're my father and I couldn't imagine life without you, then we're loving God for the wrong reasons. Then we're loving God not because we love him, but because he's useful to us. And we don't want to love God because of what he does for us. We want to love God for who he actually is, not because he's useful. So if, 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 if you find yourself here uh, looking to God for his usefulness, You'll, you'll say things like, I'm a Christian because God's cleaned up my life. Or I'm a Christian because God provided for me through a tough time. Or, uh, uh, you know, like I said, I'm a Christian because I'm miraculously healed. But you can't actually do anything tangible with that. You, you can hearken back to bygone, you know, days gone by. But today, tomorrow, Tuesday night, 
those are the days where when you come face to face with the grace of God, that it actually matters. We're supposed to love God for who he is, not what he's done for us. And only when that happens, only when you love God, when you, when you, when you see God for the beauty of his character, when you see God for, for, when you understand God's unconditional love completely, will sin's effect, power, or allurement over your life actually lose its power. And so your foul language problem will become less of, oh, I, I shouldn't have said that. How could I talk to my wife like that, right? And it'll be more of, how can I talk like that in the face of my God? How can I, how can I ignore Christ's blood shed for my sins like that, right? Uh, so the key here, the key here is, is not to see our sin and, and, and feel shame, but to see our sin and actually convict ourselves with the joy that we have in Christ. And let me show you what that looks like. What that looks like is making resolutions for this next year that actually matter. So we're going to go into our first point, which is resolution number one, starting. If you're sitting here today and you realize that your faith thus far has been more or less spiritual behavior modification, uh, we're going to have resolution number one could be the one for you, and it's start. Choose today who you will serve. Uh, Joshua 24, 14 through 15 uh, says this. I'll read it to you. Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today which will you worship, the gods of your ancestors or, or the gods uh, in whose land you're living. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. I want you to think about what would you tell your family and your friends uh, as you're you know, preparing, as you're making your, your, the last of your life, right? He's, this is the end of Joshua's life. He's gathered the entire nation of Israel around him. What would you say to the people closest to you in your life before you go, if you had a chance? There's a pretty incredible chance in the Bible. So uh, think about what, what Joshua is reminding the nation of Israel before he goes. He's reminding them, and he's making a clear case in this chapter, in this passage, to flee from the idols of the past, to flee from those things that we run to when we're feeling hungry, angry, tired, stressed, lonely, fill in the blank, whatever it is. Whatever those things that we run to consistently that take the place of the Lord are our functional gods, are our functional idols, are the functional things that, are, that we're coming to in order to deal with the problems in our life. And, we need, and, and, and I think for today's day and age, while we don't worship gods in the Euphrates River, what we are functionally worshiping are comforts, are, 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 are these patterns and routines that we keep running to, right? And, and, and so, as one Bible commentator puts it, I love this quote, he says, the best test of one's faith is not always the open hostility from our enemies, but rather our resolve to continue steadfastly when our enemies are the subtle allurements of ease amidst the common duties of life. So let's break down that quote, because oftentimes Bible commentators are, you know, they don't speak in modern day language, right? So, so much of our faith is made out to be these mountaintop experiences. For me, some of the mountaintop experiences were mission trips, they were youth retreats, you know, they were uh, these big 
nights where we would get together and God would do amazing things, right? And we can look at those and say, man, God was great back then, but where is he now, right? And, and, and so what the commentator is saying here is he's saying, how do you worship God? What do you run to when life seems normal or mundane, when you're stuck in the endless cycle of eat, sleep, work, repeat, eat, sleep, work, repeat? Where is God then? Is he present with you? Right? Do you turn to God in the normalcy of life? And so, raise your hand if you've ever been in this room and Pastor Brandon's asked you, how are you doing on a scale of 1 to 10? Anybody ever gotten that question? It's his famous question, and it's a great question, um, because when you're at 10, what happens? The sun's brighter, the air is sweeter, the clouds are in the sky, everything is, is awesome, right? And you know how to worship God when life's a 10. You know how to worship God when you, you got a new job, when you got a brand new car or you moved into a new house, it's easy to worship God then. And we also know what it's like to, to try to worship God when we're feeling like a one. When, when we lost our job, when, when we got in a car accident, and when, when we lost our, our home, right? We have these mountain and valley experiences. And what this Bible commentator is talking about is he's saying, when, when you're feeling a scale of five to seven, when you're feeling kind of mundane, where is God then, right? When, when life is feeling kind of all right, when life is just kind of meh, or as my nine-year-old would say it, merp. I'm still trying to figure that one out. I, it's a recent thing, but as life is flowing, when you get sucked into the whirlwind of activity, day-to-day -day life, prioritize your love for God because it's in that normalcy of life that we oftentimes get comfortable. And as the commentator says, we fall prey to the enemies which are subtle allurements of ease amidst the common duties of life. So develop the cadence of running to, uh, running to the Lord. Start. Choose today who you will serve. Sure, it may feel weird at first. Sure, you're going to be trying a, a new spiritual routine in your life, whatever it is. But let me remind you that when I lift weights, I actually hate it. I, I avoid it like the plague. Because quite frankly... I don't like lifting up big, heavy dumbbells and then walking to work, being unable to lift my arms, bend over, or even function. It's miserable. I avoid it. My doctor tells me every single time, you need to be doing these five-by-fives. Look, Doc, if you're watching this, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best here. But the fact is, I do not like lifting weights because it makes me feel terrible. And so often, so often, we, we try these new spiritual habits. We're like, yeah, I'm going to resolve to love the Lord but it feels weird, we don't really know how to start, and we feel bad that we're not doing it right. So, don't do it because you have to. Start 2023 with a resolution to just love God. Whatever that looks like for you. Pick one thing and, and, and just start it. It doesn't matter if it's perfect, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's not. Just do it. Resolution number two is stop. Because in order to truly be resolute about our resolutions, this one's going to be difficult, so let me just brace for impact here. Um, but some of you are going to have to stop lying, stop covering up for those sinful patterns that are routine in your life. You're going to have to take a real look at yourself, and you're going to have to talk to people who know you best. You're going to have to talk to people who aren't going to garner sympathy for your sins, who aren't going to garner, who aren't going to just try to excuse them away, but are going to listen to you and allow you to reflect about the things that actually need to change. The goal here is to uncover these patterns of sinful behaviors that are consistent in your life. So I made a list, and I checked it twice. 
We're going to find out that we're all on the naughty list today, so I'm just going to read this. Um, and uh, I promise, you know, I'm not going to take away your Christmas gifts next year, but some of you, this is really going to be eye-opening for you because as I'm studying this week, I'm sitting there like, man, I'm not as good as I ought to be. And, and I'm just, I just get convicted with God's word, and so I just want to share with you some, some patterns that, yes, even Christians exhibit. Some of you have patterns of anger, harsh language, or simply just being unloving. Some of you are prone to patterns of greed, and you don't exhibit generosity with your money, and you avoid risks with people or other endeavors in life of, of any kind. Some of you are prone to worry, and you make rash statements or judgments and are kind of blinded by this fog that you live in with worry. Uh, some of you are prone to stubbornness, and you're unwilling to admit when you're wrong. Some of you are prone to jealousy, lying, or lack of integrity. Some of you are prone to manipulating people or even abusing your power and really aren't a great team player, kind of like Cain. Uh, some of you are prone to overcommit in the wrong priorities of your life and use your busyness as an excuse for not doing the things that you actually should be doing. Some of you inwardly compare yourself to others and rob yourself of joy, just as Cain did to his brother Abel. Some of you are cowards. You know the right thing to do or say, and you prioritize peacemaking over standing up for what's right. That's me. Uh, some of you are prone to gossip. You're drawn to drama with eagerness, and you just love living out the daily drama of interpersonal conflict. Some of you enjoy confronting others a bit too much, and the power that comes from the people submitting to your perspective and constantly walking on eggshells around you. We, we could go, look, I, I could have made a list 10 pages long, right? We all know patterns of behavior that are, that are like weeds that pop up in the yard, right? And, and some of you today, resolution number two is for you. Just stop. Just stop the pattern of behavior. Because this is the thing, is, is I can get up here and I can talk and I can read the Bible all day long, but until you can get face-to-face -face with a person who you can actually talk to, who knows you, who knows the patterns in your life and can actually say, yeah, we got to work on that. We got to pray about that. We, we, th this is inexcusable, right? Like, like it's just going to keep happening. So the, the question for, for people who are resonating with resolution number two is, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to learn about the areas in your life that actually need to change? And then are you willing to actually implement those changes? And as my family pastor, I'm going to take a shameless plug here. It's my dream that one day city groups would be that very place where people would come face to face and admit that they're really not all that great. That we wouldn't be fake Christians trying to put on this fake facade that we're all good and we're walking around and we never have any dirty laundry hiding in our closets, right? And so if that's you, at the end of the month, we're signing up for city groups and I just encourage you, find a city group. I'm not saying that the first day you go there it's going to be this amazing eye-opening experience. But what you're going to find is you're going to find people at city group who actually care about the same things that you care about sitting here right now. You're going to find people who you can rub shoulders with, or you can, as they say in Proverbs, use that relationship of iron sharpening iron just as one brother sharpens another. And, and in your groups, in your city groups, as you're talking about what God's teaching you throughout the week, you can use those relationships to really deal with the patterns in your life that, as you're sitting here today, you know need to change. So sign up for city groups at the end of the month. Um, you're going to be better off for it. I know it. Uh, in Exodus 20... God gives ten commandments to the Israelites. This is really, this is an amazing moment in, in biblical history because God literally comes down from heaven and dwells on the top of Mount Sinai. And, and he gives ten commandments that ultimately wrap up the, the rules and the moral language of the nation of Israel, right? And, and many of us know a lot of them today. 
And so uh, I'm going to read the, this verse from the ESV translation because um, I actually think it captures the, um, the actual intent of the commandment better. Uh, so I'm going to get here. So Exodus 27, tw- chapter 20, verse 7. Uh, oh, I see it's on the screen. Uh, all right, fine, I'll go there. Uh, Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. So this translation is from the Christian Standard Bible. I, I have no quorums with the CSB. Uh, but what they're translating as misuse is this Hebrew word nasa. And I'm, this is going to be brief, okay? This isn't language class, but we need to understand this. This Hebrew word nasa means to lift, bear, carry, or take, okay? And so as a child, when I was being raised up in the faith, I was taught that... Uh, as the CSB says, to misuse the name of the Lord is to, is to speak his name in vain. So, so don't say OMG or don't say any of these, uh, don't put God's name out there because you're breaking a Ten Commandment. Shame on you, right? But when we look at the ESV translation, I really think that, that this one kind of hits, hits home. ESV says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And I've been reading this book from Carmen Imes. She just wrote, it's, it's an entire research thing on, on just this commandment, taking the Lord's name in vain. And it's something that I wanted to share with you uh, and emphasize here is, where am I at here? Okay. Uh, more or less, taking the Lord's name in vain equates to, imagine like when a woman and a man get married and she takes his last name, right? As a Christian... You are, the Christian literally means mini Christ. So as a Christian, I want you to think about it as taking on the Lord's name upon yourself. Like, that's your identity. I am Christ-like. I am a Christian. That is what it means to take the Lord's name. And I want to emphasize this because when Paul talks about bearing fruit by keeping with repentance, this is what he means. Is to be a Christian is to desire to be Christ-like. Is to desire to literally... As one apple spoiled the bunch, we're going to deal with our sin in its proper place. And so being a Christian in name only is completely unacceptable. It's not okay to call ourselves a Christian if we don't actually want to be Christ-like. We have to to actually pursue him. And so if you're going to call yourself a Christian, then obey the third commandment and don't take the Lord's name in vain. And the only way to do this, I know it's been grim, I, I, I feel like I'm not trying to be judgmental here, but the truth is, the only way for us to deal with the sinful patterns of our life is to convict ourselves with joy. Convict ourselves with joy. And until you see your sin, until you see it as not a bad habit, not, 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 not I, I need to avoid doing these things, but until you see your sin as grieving the one that you truly love, you're never really going to change. Because until you see your sin as grief, you're never really going to deal <laughs> with the consequences of your sin. And that's why convicting yourself with joy is so key. Because until your heart reaches the place where you love God more than you love your sin, where, where, where you love God and, and you no longer want to pursue the same worldly desires that you always have, until the affections of your heart have ultimately changed to where you're no longer in love with your habits and, you're, and, you're in, and, the, and those things of your life, but you're more in love with God, then you're... Patterns will never change. So you may be sitting there. Okay, Pastor Will, you've been beating me up for who knows how long. How do I actually do this? How am I supposed to do the things you're telling me to do? Okay, 
And I find it easiest to do it in prayer and, and to stop and literally come before the Lord and, and, and right ourselves. So, if you're falling into pride or ego, stop and pray this. When I fall into pride or ego and I start to worry about my reputation, especially about what others are saying about me, or when I become obsessed with always having to be right, help me remember this, and this is a prayer to the Lord. On the cross, you gave up your power, your reputation, and your glory for me. And the more that I thank you and rejoice because of what you've done for me, the less I need to worry about my own honor, reputation, or whether people approve of me or not. The idea here is stopping in your tracks and, and praying through the truth that you already know from Scripture. Praying through uh, God's word and reminding yourself of the joy that you have in Christ. Here are some more examples. Lord, when I fall into coldness or irritability with others, help me remember this. That in the garden, just before you died, you were gracious and affirming to us. When you asked us to pray with you and we fell asleep on you. And even on the cross, as you were giving up your life 2,000 years ago, I can rejoice and thank you for the fact that you weren't cold or irritable with the people around you, but actually prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And the more I realize that, the more I need to be patient, attention, attentive, and gracious to the people around me in my life, too. Thank you for showing me how to love others just as you love me. Or, Lord, when I fall into anxiety and fearfulness, I remember that the ultimate fear for me, or I remember that you faced the ultimate fear for me, that you were torn to pieces so that I could be unconditionally loved and eternally safe with you. And the more I thank you for that, the more I find myself getting calm because I don't have to prove myself anymore, which gives me courage to do the things that I never could do on my own strength. Or how about this one? Um, and these are just prayers I've, I've you know, written out here. Lord, when I'm not feeling motivated, when the monotony of the mundane feels overbearing, when the struggle I see uh, and I ask myself, why should I even try? When all hope is gone and I'm questioning my very existence, remind me, remind myself that you relented. When the world was spiraling out of control and nothing was working as you intended, you didn't throw in the towel. You didn't give up on me. You, you set a rescue plan in order and made a way to bring purpose, value, and meaning to my life. You call me a co-laborer with Christ. You've called me to be a witness in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So help me see the truth that my life matters. Because you've called me by your name and set me apart to help advance your kingdom here. Do you see how we can take the joys and the truth of Scripture and literally speak it over our situations? So when you find yourself in those patterns, you need to stop. Stop excusing away your sins. Stop covering up and expose it with the light of the gospel of grace. Because God has done so much in order to free ourselves from this cycle of sin and shame. And Andy has a whole message on that. It was fantastic. But we want to experience freedom from that. And side note, it's not going to be easy. Because when we're dealing with sin patterns, we ultimately don't want to face it. Because we have a flawed view of what it means to actually be a Christian. And we have a flawed view of Jesus' sacrifice for our life. And many of our stories are, are the same. We were living apart from God. We came face to face with him. And, and we don't want to let him down. And, 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 and we tell ourselves, like, oh, I'm a Christian now. And that sin over there isn't really that big of a deal. And I'm forgiven because of God's grace. And some of us actually use grace as an, as an excuse to hide from our sin. But the answer is that, but the answer that we have to, the question that we have to answer is this. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Some would say, Jesus went to the cross because he loves me, right? Well, yes, he does love you, but that's not the only reason. And this is so important to truly understand the gospel. And it's so important why we've kind of been like, seesawing back and forth between, yes, you have grace, but yes, you know, we need to deal with our sin. Because here's the thing. 
is if Jesus only died because he loved us, if that was the only reason, then why wouldn't God just say, oh yeah, you're sin over there, don't worry about it, I got it covered, I love you, you're, you're, you're good, right? No, it wasn't just love that, put, that brought Jesus to the cross. Jesus went to the cross because of his high moral standards and the fact that sin is utterly repulsive and offensive to God. And, it, and sin requires a payment, okay? And so, because all sin has to be punished, we have to see it for what it really is in our lives. And so you can't, so here's what, here's what you're going to be tempted to do, is you're going to be, on, on one hand, you're going to be like, oh yeah, I've got grace, I don't need to worry about sin. But on the other hand, you're going to be like, oh, I've got all this sin, um, how in the world am I ever supposed to be doing that? And what we need to do is we need to speak grace to our sin. Jesus died for me, and I'm admitting that today, that for the first time ever, you will be able to say, you know what, because of God's grace, I'm, really, I'm willing and able to admit that I'm really not as good as I, I portray, and I'm really not as bad and hopeless of a situation as I find myself in. Which brings us to resolution number three, and this is going to um, wrap up our, our time this morning. Resolution three is continue. Continue to press into your relationship with God. Don't let, look, the worst thing that would happen is if, is if you're sitting there today and you just feel so much guilt and so much shame and you're unable to come to the Lord. That's not, the, that's not who he is. God's arms are constantly open wide. But we need to press in to his opinion of us, as I said at the beginning of the message. And there's a great book by Max Lucado called You Are Special. I preached an entire message of this back in my uh, uh, youth pastor days. But... I will give you the gist of the story here, okay? There's a bunch of these little figurines that all live in a town, okay? And they're all carved by a woodworker. And one of their habits that they go around town and do is they stick uh, stickers on each other. The ones that are beautiful, that are smart, that are talented, that, that can do amazing things, that are they're funny, they all stick these gold stars on each other as a sign of merit. It's like, yeah, you go get them. You know, if you're watching football, they got all the stickers on their helmets. It's kind of the same deal. You did something good. I, I noticed that in you. I'm giving you a gold star. But the ones who weren't beautiful, the ones who had chip paint, the ones who, you know, weren't athletic, the, the people picked last for dodgeball, um, those little figurines, they would get gray dot stickers to them because they noticed that, they weren't as admirable as, as the rest of the little figurines in the town. And we, we, we find the main character is actually the town reject. He's got so many gray dot stickers all over him that, as a matter of fact, people just walk up to him and give him a gray dot sticker just because he has gray dot stickers. And so he's like covered in gray dot stickers, and he's so ashamed of, of who he is that he actually shuts himself in his house and refuses to go and hang out with the other figurines. Talk about miserable. But one day, he, he's looking out his window, and he sees a figurine, a little girl, who has no stickers on her. And he's, a, he's amazed. He's like, she doesn't have stars or dots. What is this thing? So he, go, he, he, he goes up and talks to her. And he's like, how come you don't have any stickers? And she says, the answer is really easy. You just got to go talk to the wood, wood carver. His house is over there over the hill. So he kind of goes back to his house, and he's sitting there thinking, like, go talk to the wood carver. Like, why would he want to talk to me? I'm covered head to toe in gray dot stickers. What, 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 am, is it really worth my time? Should I, take, should I take the trek? You know, it's a long walk. I'm probably going to get 10 more stickers as I'm going that way. So he's sitting there and he's thinking about it. Well, eventually, he drums up the courage and he makes the trek and he comes face to face with his maker. 
And he finds out the secret about the stickers is this. Is that once, is that the stickers only stick if you allow them to. And once the main character decided that, uh, he, he learned his, he learned, so, so he learns, oh, the stickers only stick if, if, uh, if, if they matter to me. Like, that's amazing. Um, but what do you think? And the, and the woodmaker's like, I think you're wonderful. I think you're amazing. Like, I made, I handmade you out of wood. You're this awesome figurine. Like, why do you care about gold stars and gray dot stickers? You should care about what I think about you, not what other people think about you. And once the main character decided that, that, that what his maker thought about him was more important than the opinions of his peers, one of his gray dot stickers actually fell off. So yes, I care about what my friends think about me. Yes, I, my wife's opinion might be slightly important to me, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, wherever you find yourself this morning, God's opinion of you needs to be first and, and top priority in your life. That what God thinks about you needs to be more important than anything else in your entire life. And it's the love of the God of our Father that we need to be pursuing. And it's his love that we ultimately need to resolve to strive to find and to press into in 2023. Because only through the Father's love is there no longer any condemnation for those that have been saved through Christ Jesus. So if you're here today and you've never made Jesus your Savior, I want to invite you into the family. I want to invite you to, to have a chance to, to, to come face to face with God himself who loves you, who made you wonderful, who, who rejoices over you and thinks that you are just worth more than any treasure in the entire universe. And all you need to do to accept that love of Jesus is to admit, one, that you're really not all that good, you're really not as good as you, as you think you are, and that we need Jesus to save us because none of us can reach perfection in and of our own merit. The second thing that you need to do is you need to believe. You need to believe that there's no other way for you to get back to the Lord except through what Jesus has done for you. That no amount of self-help, no amount of grit or determination is ever going to restore that relationship between you and God that's been severed because of our sin. And then the last thing to do is to choose. To choose every single day to live out of that love to pursue God as if his opinion is the only one that matters because ultimately it is. And to choose every single day to worship him in spirit and in truth and to enjoy him forever. That's what it's like to have a relationship with God. That's the hope of the gospel. That's, that's the way that we deal with all of these resolutions that we might have in our life. That's the way that we actually make impact is coming face to face with our maker who loves us more than anything else in the galaxy. So as we're praying this morning, we're going we're gonna to sing another song. We're going to come into worship, and we're going to come face-to-face -face with God. And if you've never expressed how awesome and wonderful and lovely and beautiful he is, I, I would invite you to do that in this song. I don't know what the words are going to be. But this is day one of 2023, and let's start our relationship with God right this year. Let's come before him for who he is, not for what he's done, not for how useful he is to us, but because we love him. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to worship. Father, I pray that we would see you as a good, perfect, patient, heavenly Father who loves us more than we could ever imagine, who's given the ultimate gift of his Son so that we could live with you forever, his Son who lived a perfect life, a life that none of us could live in our own merit, and died a death that we rightfully deserve for all of the sin that grieves your heart so much. Lord, I pray today that as we worship you, we'd have the ability to see 
that ultimately it's only by your grace alone that we can change. And remind us that how little that grace has actually changed us to this day so that we become more and more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.